Lesson one, basic hip. Welcome to the Jazz Session. I'm Jason Crane. This is episode 497 for November 13th, 2019. On today's show, keyboardist John Medeski. This show is supported by its members, without whom the Jazz Session would not be possible. I'm trying very hard to make this show and my other podcast a brief chat into my living, and you can help me do that by joining today at thejazzsession.com slash join. There are now two levels, 5 and $10 per month, and both come with cool bonus material. Big thanks to John Lost, who became a member this past week. I appreciate you, John. Visit thejazzsession.com slash join and do what John did. Now on to another John. John Medeski's new album, Mad Skillet, with his band of the same name, was born in New Orleans. The record begins with the tune, Man About Town. John Medeski, welcome to the Jazz Session. It's great to have you here. Well, good to be here. Thank you. We're talking, uh, there's so much to talk about with you, but we're starting off today at least talking about the new project called Mad Skillet. And I know the, the origins of this project go back at least 20 years to your association with uh, the Dirty Dozen Brass Band. Can you talk about kind of how that led to this new music that we're hearing now? Well, I guess... I got to fast forward from there to, I think the real like impetus for this band. I mean, it's really coming from the new Orleans jazz fest sort of late night scene. I mean, for people who don't know about it, it's, it's, you know, there's, there's jazz fest, which, you know, happens over a couple weekends on the fairgrounds. But during that time, all week, every night, there's, show tons of shows in all of the venues in new orleans like literally three different blocks of shows every night going from nine you know until five in the morning six seven or sunrise you know depending on the, the place and it's an incredible crazy opportunity for us to get together and do different collaborations and projects that don't happen anywhere else you know so musicians you know are all there you know, so, you know some people stay there for the whole two weeks as I, you know and i have a few times and end up playing two to three shows a night at different places with different bands different configurations i mean it's so it, you know it's 
insane in terms of, <laughs> you know, the amount of time and the amount of gigs and the amount, you know, the exhaustion of it all. But it's um, sort of this weird rite of passage for, <laughs> for, you know, musicians to get there and just do a lot of shows and especially for, you know, a lot of local guys. And it's a chance for a lot of local New Orleans musicians to collaborate with other people that come through during the year they don't get to do that with. So it's, it's actually really an amazing time. And a lot of things happen there that don't happen anywhere else ever. And I had, you know, there's a few different projects that I, you know, only do when I'm there. And that's sort of how the band started. And it started because I played, uh, you know, I've known Will Bernard for, you know, for a long time and known about him, but about 10 years ago, he had me play on a record of his called Blue Plate Special, which was with Stanton Moore and Andy Hess on bass, Stanton Moore on drums. After that, he did a, we did a couple of years at, jazz fest late night like a set with that band and then can always get the same guy so it sort of started to evolve and devolve that will and i would just do something every year at one point he had kirk joseph come play sousaphone instead of uh you know a bass player and that's sort of what that did was that sort of like rang a bell for me because i had worked with the dirty dozen in 99 on their the record buck jump and back then it was you know terrence higgins and kirk were the rhythm section on that record. And ever since then, I've always wanted to do something. I was always had in the back of my mind, I got to do some kind of project with those guys. You know, I didn't know what I had different ideas at different times. And you know, just what the reality of life and, you know, uh, I'm pretty busy with all kinds of other stuff. It just never really came together. But that gig that we did just made me think, Oh man, this will be so great. So the next year we did it again and we got Terrace to play drums and that sort of sparked it. And we did it a few years in a row and I just basically got it together. Uh, it was just so, the chemistry was so magical, you know, and really that's what, to me, that's what it's about with these kind of things. I've done a lot of these collaborative projects where they get different musicians together over the years. You know, you know a lot of times promoters have an idea to put a band together and, you know, it's always good. And, you know, it's always at least interesting, but, you know, when you have a chemistry that really happens, it felt like a band. So I got it together to do the recording and that was it. And then I, you know, that it actually took about two years for the record to actually get out after we recorded it because I, I couldn't really find a record label to do it that wanted to do it that really made it worth it, you know? So I ended up doing a, you know, a Kickstarter campaign to finish the record up that we put it out. And now we're out, you know, trying to play the music live. We actually did a bunch of gigs in Europe as the band before the record ever came out because it just took so long to get it out. what it's like to play with Kirk Joseph and Terrence Higgins. I mean, you mentioned the chemistry, but is there a way in which that, like, sousaphone drum combination is different than what we think of as a more standard rhythm section to find you with? 
Well, I guess, you know, the sousaphone, you know, it has a, diff- a slightly different feel, I guess. But those guys are so steeped in the tradition, you know, there, that it just has this undeniable feel. And they also have played together so much. There's like a telepathy there, you know, so that when we get together, we can all, you know, we can, you know, we have songs. We can also just, you know, play from nowhere and just make stuff up. And it turns into real music, you know, <laughs> because those guys just, you know, they just read each other's minds when they play. And honestly, like, you know, any band, it's like the bass and drums, it's like that that connection. I mean, if you go through history and look at every great band, the rhythm section, the bass and drums, they're usually really great, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, and that's it really, it, people don't even realize how much that defines a band, you know? Because, you know, that's what you feel. So the underlying feel of this band is, you know, is that it's them. It's a blast. It's a blast for, you know, Will and myself. You know, Will, you know, is also amazing. I mean, he's a, one of the most versatile guitar players, you know, on the planet right now. I mean, he can play really, you know, almost any style of music and he's got his own way of doing it. So there's a lot of territory we can go to. The other thing that's really amazing about this band, I think, is that everybody in the band is, you know, a composer and a producer kind of in their own, right? Everybody has their own projects. You know, Kirk, you know, wrote, you know, writes great tunes. Terrence does all kinds, you know, he writes songs and has, you know, doing all different kinds of projects down in New Orleans. So when we improvise or, you know, make stuff up, everybody's thinking that way. They kind of like more like, you know, I look at it like spontaneous composition, you know, where it's, you know, making everybody thinks like that. Everybody thinks like, um, about, uh, the big picture, you know, as opposed to just like, you know, playing along. So, I mean, it's great. And, you know, and, and for us, you know, for, you know, it's to get to play with those guys and, you know, talk to them about, you know, the history and getting, you know, different perspectives on the history of New Orleans. Because, you know, I think as a improvising musician who loves jazz and, you know, funk and R&B and all this stuff, I mean, New Orleans is like, it's, you know, ground zero for, <laughs> for a lot of that music. You uh, you kind of gave me a great segue just to talk about the fact that the album does rely on uh, all of its members for composition, whether it's spontaneous compositions that happened in the studio or the fact that you've all uh, written pieces for the album, which I I think is really cool. And, you know, the, the band certainly has a very unified sound, uh, even as it's playing material by the different members, which, uh, you know, I think kind of speaks to that chemistry you were talking about earlier. Yeah, I mean, for me... I mean, there's different ways. I think different people do different, have different ways of approaching a band. I mean, for me, this band, you know, this, because this band developed so organically and out of a scene, and it, it wasn't just like some idea I had. Oh, hey, I want to do this project, so I get people together and I write the music and, you know, kind of mold everybody into my concepts, you know. This came from the music itself, you know, the music. And it, came, it comes from, like, everybody getting to be themselves in the band. You know, everyone is 100% themselves. I mean, live, you get to hear Kirk Joseph, you know, solo a lot more than you do in any other project that I've ever seen him in. You know, you get to hear him, and he gets to develop that aspect of uh, his, you know, his performance, and he's incredible. Because, again, you know, he thinks so compositionally and and just has such a natural sense of, you know, timing and things. So it's, I mean, that's really important to me, and, that, and that's kind of what the band's about. Everybody gets to be themselves. So when we play one of my tunes, or we play one of Will's tunes, or we play one of Kirk's tunes, everybody, aside from like you know, getting the notes right and the right chords, <laughs> every, other than that, everybody is doing, is coming up with their own parts so that they can be themselves. And, you know, the, the, the couple of tunes are, you know, on the record are, came out of spontaneous, you know, jams. You know, I just kind of whittled them together 
in the, you know, in you know when we mixed and you know turned them into you know little, you know sort of more coherent songs. And you know, same thing with that. Everybody was just being themselves. We were improvising. Terrence started a drum beat. He you know sings a bass line to Kirk. Kirk comes up, you know gets the bass line, and then we take it from there. You know. In terms of albums being made specifically for me, the combination of the four of you would have been enough, but you also play uh, Sun Ra's uh, The Golden Lady on this record, and uh, midway through that, there suddenly started uh, what, for the first few seconds, I thought was a bass clarinet solo. And then I thought, well, I don't remember there being anybody who doubles on bass clarinet in this band. And then I realized, I think it's maybe a Mellotron that's playing that? Is that right? Yeah, yeah it's Mellotron. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of my favorite instruments. Yeah, so I, yeah, it's a bass clarinet. I, uh, my Mellotron has this, a bass clarinet sound on it, and, um, yeah, so exactly. It I mean, is so cool. Yeah, all all the strings, all the strings, and all the like other sounds there are Mellotron on that record. You know, so and I, you know, it's just I just love that instrument, and you know, you can do things with it that you can't do with a bass clarinet. You know, like what by, you know, I can bend notes in a way you can't do on a bass clarinet. So. I like to explore that, but yeah, I just love that sound. I mean, I love bass clarinet to begin with. <laughs> we just we could we can't we can't afford a bass. <laughs> Uh, tried to keep the the fanboying out of this show over the last decade plus, but I am going to say that you were an important part of a change in my musical listening because, as I mentioned, I mostly came up listening both to prog rock and then to uh, to jazz. You know, kind of first to big band jazz because of my my grandfather, and then I started to get into small group stuff. But when I I lived in Tucson in the mid '90s, and I was really starting to feel a need for music that 
first of all, pushed the envelope a little more, and also that was rooted in something that appealed not just to my head, but also like to my gut and my feet. And one night I went, uh, without really knowing what I was going to see, to Club Congress in Tucson, and you guys were playing, uh, uh, Medeski Martin and Wood was playing, and... Uh, that moment for me was really transformative because it was music that combined uh, a lot of what I loved from the like kind of prog and jazz world as I knew it at the time with a vision of what else, uh, at least some other things that were possible if you weren't afraid to also get a room full of people to move. Uh, so that was really, uh, really cool for me. And it caused me not only to, of course, check out your music, but also, you know, to see what else was out there, you know, that might have informed it or, you know, other people who were who were trying to push the envelope in the same direction. Uh, so, A, thank you. And B, um, I'm I'm curious about what kind of things did that for you? What What were the moments for you where, you know, kind of the light turned on in terms of your own musical growth hmm that's a big question it certainly is um, I mean, you could just pick something if you want like i've been I, i've been playing i started playing classical piano when i was five i was in that classical work for a while discovered jazz had my head blown off and you know probably i was 11 years old i started getting into jazz and you know i was doing both studying classical and studying jazz and you know playing in a lot of different kinds of music, playing, you know, Broadway shows, playing, um, you know, I even wrote like two musicals when I was in high school. I, I played in big bands, you know, I loved that music. And I would just, you know, I didn't, I just played whatever. I played everything and anything. And I grew up in South Florida. There was a lot of reggae around. Um, and, you know, Growing up in the, you know, I was born in 65, growing up in the 70s, just the music that was on the radio, you know. I think, for me, there came, you know, there came a time in my musical life. I mean, I, I never, it was like, it wasn't like there was one thing that I ever heard that changed my, that made, I was like, oh, I want to do this. Because I like so much different, you know, so much different music. But what I really was into is like, you know, I wanted to do what the people I loved were doing, but in my own way for myself, do you know what I mean? That's kind of what it came to. And I think it was probably when I was, I went to music school in Boston, New England conservatory and, you know, uh, was you know, just checking out all kinds of music and studying all different kinds of music and playing a lot of jazz out at that time. And was in a blues band, which is when I got into the Hammond organ. And I think was, you know, then when I moved to New York, or I guess maybe at the time when I was in Boston, at a certain point, I like, you know, I realized, like, you know what, I, and this is, you know, at, at the time when I think, when Wynton Marsalis and all this stuff was happening with jazz and the sort of return to something, you know, ret- this, I don't know, I start, I just got so sick of like, what is jazz, what is not jazz, and I just realized, like, you know what, that's, you know, I need to like do, I need to be honest about who I am, what I've grown up with. I can play classical music or I can play jazz, but am I really being myself? Am I really doing what these guys that I love were doing? You know, I, you know, I mean, Beethoven wasn't do, trying to do what anybody else did. You know, Thelonious Monk certainly wasn't doing something that someone else did, you know, or Bud Powell or Coltrane or my, or anybody, you know? So that's, for me, that's what it was about. It was like, okay, like, well, who am I really? I'm this white dude from Florida who likes a lot of different kinds of music. So that 
And I, and that's what, that's, you know, kind of what sparked Modesky Martin and Wood was like, you know, just wanting to be honest. Like, you know, I like to improvise. I like creative music. I like the spirit of jazz. I like this, the spirit of music in the moment for the moment. That was always very exciting to me and creating music like that. But I think, you know, we, with MMW, we were trying to be honest about who we were. And like, you know, I also loved, I mean, I, I mean, I loved hip hop, you know, and I loved, <laughs> I loved R&B. I loved the meters, you know, I loved all this music. So that's what we were trying to do. We were trying to find a way to have the creativity and expression and, you know, that, that spirit or that process of jazz of making music in the moment for the moment, but using the reality of our life experiences and the music we grew up with. So we drew on those kind of rhythms and, you know, dance rhythms from all over the world, you know, just like stuff that we loved, you know, at the same time, trying to keep it, you know, I also love contemporary classical music and really out, you know, avant-garde music. So it was sort of taking all these elements and like trying to make something out of it that felt honest and real and felt like we were being ourselves. So that's what it was, you know. Let's take a break from the music to talk about what we value. I think it's safe to say that if you're hearing the sound of my voice right now, you value improvised music and the people who make it. So do I. I also think it's important that we save for posterity not just the music, but the stories behind it. That's the project I've been working on for a dozen years now, and I can only do it because people like you make the transition from being listeners to members. If you also value these stories and this archive of knowledge, I really need your help to keep it going for years to come. Join by becoming a member for $5 or $10 at thejazzsession.com slash join. You'll get bonus episodes, early access to every show, and more. If you value what I do, let me know with your membership. Thank you. And now, back to the episode. about uh, you as a player is I think you're one of those people who, you know, in the first few notes, you know, okay, that's John Medeski, which I think is more impressive because you play so many different instruments that sound so different from one another, but there's there just always seems to be something that's you about it. Now, of course, that could be also some of just my exposure to you as opposed to other keyboardists. But in my, I have a list of maybe five or six players in my mind. I think of you know who I'm like, oh, instantly you know, okay, that's you know Herbie or whoever it is. But I think the keyboard is a little more challenging to you know to be as recognizable, given especially given someone who's like a sonic experimenter like you are, has kind of having a a sound. Does that even apply to what you do? And and is it you know is it something you've thought about tried to achieve anything like that it's not an intellectual decision 
is this sort of like I guess this broad concept I was talking about, like, just about being honest about who I am and like playing that you know um you know I spent a lot of time like really tapping into like what it is I'm you know what do I really hear you know what am I really hearing for this what am I hearing not like I mean you know especially these days and especially in jazz you know it's like I get confused sometimes when I hear some you know there's so, there's so many people that sound like Herbie now or you know or sound like this other person or this combination of people and that was you know I guess that's one way to go but for me I really wanted to I mean the because the people I love really sound like themselves so I was always trying to like and what that comes from is like it comes from you know first of all your tone I guess and the tones you use and the sounds you explore with but it also comes from like you know, the your the notes you choose and where you put them you know how you know you're do you know what I mean and it's like it's always been important to me that that you know like to be I mean, this is sort of more like, I guess, music, theoretical music, but it's like to, to really like be conscious of the, your note choice, you know, not just play something because it sounds good because someone else played it. That's easy. I mean, there's so many people doing that. It's like there's so many people regurgitating, you know, stuff that's already been done. And for me, it's been about like, you know, really, really caring about like what notes, you know, what notes I play or what note, you know, what leads to the next thing. And like, you know, it's like speaking, you know, it's like, it's like, it's, it becomes, your music is your voice. It's, you know, it's, it's a different language, but it's you. So I guess, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that's why, I don't know. I don't really know. I don't really think about it, you know, but I do, I'm very conscious of being honest and being, and doing, you know, really like when I plan something or like really listening and adding something that I think that I feel like the music can use you know, not, and not feeling like I need to like show off something that I've been practicing, you know, but really like listen to the music and have the music inform what I do. And then really having it come from like, I've worked really hard at like staying connected to that part of me so that when, it, when I play something, it's really coming from me. You know, I really mean it. Maybe that's, I don't know. I don't really know, but <laughs> maybe that has something to do with what you're saying. I mean, but I do think, you know, it's, you know, in terms of, let's say like on piano, what I, the piano is, I mean, I can, you can tell him, like you said, you can tell in two notes, Bill Evans, Herbie, Winton Kelly, you know, Bud Powell, Arthur Rubenstein, Vladimir Horowitz, Emil Galels. You can tell these people in like a couple of notes because they have, the piano is such an amazing instrument that everybody has their own sound on it. Like the way everybody's voice, you can tell, you can tell a friend or somebody you know's voice, you can tell in two seconds when they call you, you know, or you talk to them. And the piano, that's what's so, so incredible about that instrument is that it's like, it's this acoustic mechanical, I mean, it's one of the great mechanical achievements of the human race. I think when you really think about it, it's like the fact that anybody can sit down on it and when they play it, they have, they sound like themselves unless they're trying to sound like someone else. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's even more incredible. Uh, and this is, I think this carries over to, you know, to keyboard and organ as well, because the thing that actually generates the sound is not the thing you're touching. Like it's the the shape of your mouth or the pressure of your lips um, or the uh, you know the the way your your fingers are shaped or how thick they are. That stuff. I mean, obviously, yes, it has a it has an effect, but it's not as direct as if you are you know there's a, a mouthpiece in your mouth and that that kind of thing. And yet, I still think well, I guess I, everything you said is true. Well, I think yeah, I think with the piano, it really is because of the mechanics of the way the action works, it really is like everybody's hand is different. Everybody's touch is different and everybody's ear is different. So 
when they play that, I mean, that's that, the nuance in the, you know, that, that is available on the instrument is really kind of, you know, it's, it seems to be infinite in terms of <laughs> touch because everyone really does have their own sound. As far as Hammond organ goes, it's definitely very different because it's, there are, you know, there's a, you know, quantifiable number of tones that it can make, you know, and it's, um, yeah, it's just, it's different. It's, you know, there's definitely less physical, like, you know, like in piano, it's your touch. So it's your hands. It is you touching this or an organ. It's not really that because how you touch the key does not affect the sound that much. There's, you know, little subtle things that, you know, actually do that you can do. But so I think in that case, it's, you know, it's just like, I, you know, I hear it a certain way. I use this draw bars and stops and they have, I use them in a certain way that, you know, I think creates the sound. And, um, and then again, I think, you know, really a lot of it ends up being like, you know, note choice and where and rhythm and where, you know, I mean, I think that's how you can tell people a lot is by just how, you know, what they're playing and how and where it, it's, you know, popping up. <laughs> are listening to this interview in real time when it's released then today is on or about the 13th of november 2019 are there chances for people to see either the the mad skillet band or you in other contexts coming up soon right now i'm on the road with um the last Walt tour uh with um warren haynes and uh lucas nelson jimmy johnson don was terrence higgins is playing drums so we're out doing that right now and you know touring around the u.s in december i'm actually going to be uh we're doing we're going to be doing a tiny desk thing with this i did, did a rec- recording called the mellotron variations i don't know if you've seen that out there I but have. it's a new record that's out yeah so that and that we're out we're going to be doing this we're doing a show in um nashville in december and january i'll be in europe doing some solo stuff <laughs> if anybody's out there yeah, actually, a lot of members or a lot of uh, listeners, I should say, to this show are all over Europe. So, uh, yeah, I'll just uh, direct everybody to your website for tour dates. So, John, oh, okay. in addition to Mad Skillet, I know you've got a ton of other stuff on the fire. Uh, you mentioned the Mellotron Variations. Uh, what else is going on for you? What other albums are on the way out? What other projects? I did a recording with this great cornetist, Kirk Kanufke, and it's all Sun Ra material that that we are, are finishing up and should be out sometime early this year um and i've got a project in the works that might might be a little while before it comes out but it's called sacred madness that will be coming out sometime maybe the end of next year 
Um, Matt Skillen will be back out on the road, you know, hopefully in the coming year. If anybody wants to hear it, we'll be out there. And uh, let's see what else. Do a solo tour in Europe in January. Be mostly piano. Some with a couple of gigs left. Some do some organ stuff too. Um, let's Did see, I read somewhere else? that there's an MMW documentary on the way? Or yeah, yeah. It just it was just it was just premiered at the Woodstock Film Festival. There's a, a film that you know we we were working on a new record about a year or so ago and they came and filmed it and, they, and um, made a film about that, you know, about that process and about us a little bit. And um, that record, we're also, we need to finish that record up. So the new MMW record coming out, you know, sometime in the next year. Well, that's quite a few things. <laughs> oh, you know, also, Hey, new year's in new Orleans. Oh um, yeah. New Orleans, I'm playing with, playing with foundations of funk with George Porter and Zigaboo at the house of blues. Wow. So, that's a good way to spend your New Year's. <laughs> that sounds pretty amazing. Well, uh, my guest for the show has been John Medeski. Uh, the album we were primarily focused on today uh, was John's Mad Skillet record. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, and I thank you for taking the time to do it. Yeah, yeah no problem. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. If you value what you just heard, become a member for 5 or $10 a month at thejazzsession.com slash join. Thanks to my guest this week, John Medeski. Thanks also to the Respect Sextet at respectsextet.com for the theme music and Dave Rabel for the logo. Follow the Jazz Session on Twitter at jazzsesh, J-A-Z-Z-S-E-S-H, and on Instagram at the Jazz Session. One reason to follow is that I post a clip from the 12-year archives on both those accounts each weekday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Take a second right now, if you would, to rate and review The Jazz Session on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It really improves my ability to reach new listeners. If you'd like to keep up to date on my podcasts, poetry, and more, subscribe to my twice-monthly newsletter. Just go to thejazzsession.com and click on the newsletter link. Support live music whenever and wherever you can, and come back next time for another conversation about jazz on the jazz session. Bye. Bye. Bye.